It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Over the line, or close it, he's in. Stan Mikita was a, a small guy, very cocky in those days. A right hand by Magnuson, and he puts that guy down. Magnuson trying to tear his hair out. NBC Chicago's James Naveau. Murphy picked out of midair to Amani, set him a running. Hawks win! Hawks win! Hawks win! Jeremy Roenick! Odyssey Chicago Hockey Insider, Jay Zawoski. Hawks win! Hawks win again! Blue Wire Podcast. Came off the boards. He shoots. He's going down to the Tays. A game-winning goal. The Hawks live to fight another day. Rolling back. Sobel drives. Gets it from The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Chicago's going to be in last place forever. Play the center for Tays. He got a break away. Tays to win the game. Hawks win. Hawks win. Down to the Tays. Brought to you by Triple Threat Sports. Fry the Coop. And by the Cincinnati Law Group. Let's drop the puck. Welcome in, Blackhawks fans. This is indeed the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast, where COVID doesn't stop us. <laughs> I am James DeVoe from NBC5 <laughs> Chicago, and with me as always is Jay Zawoski of Odyssey, of WBBM, of the I'm Fat Podcast. Jay, we don't have much to talk about because there is no NHL hockey going on right now, and the Blackhawks' last two games have both been axed because of COVID. So this is a uh, kind of a lull. We got a longer holiday break than we anticipated. Oh, contraire, bonjour. We have a lot to talk about. We're going to talk to Chris Peters about the World Junior Championships that start on the 26th. That's in the second half of the podcast. You're not going to want to miss that. A bunch of Hawks playing in there. Team Canada has 11 first-round picks on it. We get into all of that with Chris Peters, but you're None right. None of whom are Blackhawks. <laughs> That's correct. We've got some uh, – we do have some housekeeping NHL news. Housekeeping? NHL news stuff to get to in the uh, first half of the show. So thanks for joining us. Make sure you're following us on all of our social media channels, at MadhousePod on Twitter, at Madhouse underscore pod on Instagram, and at Madhouse Hockey Pod on Facebook. Check out our T Public Shop. Check out our Patreon. All those great things. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review. Uh, sending out those prize packs to the, you, all of you who emailed me. Not all of you. I will select a winner or two <laughs> from the people who emailed us five star reviews uh, to madhousepod at gmail.com. Two or three prize packs I'll give out. So make sure you get those submitted before the end of the calendar year, and I'll get those sent out. Okay, so where do we start? Uh, the COVID delay, the Olympic withdrawal. The floor is yours, Mr. Naveau. Tell me what you're, where you'd like to begin. I suppose that uh, one kind of goes hand in hand with the other, but yeah. I think that the 
most pressing and most breaking of the stories is the fact that the NHL will not be participating in this year's Olympics in Beijing. The announcement was officially made on Wednesday. The rumblings had been there all week. Yeah. The NHL was going to pull out. There have just been so many games canceled. I think the press release announcing the withdrawal said that there have been 50 games canceled so far because of this COVID outbreak that's been going around the league. And I think that that it's just it's really a shame because I know that the Olympic participation by NHL players has always been kind of a mixed bag in terms of the reaction from fans and from players and ownership. And I know that it has caused a lot of controversy. But at the end of the day, what you're getting here is that this is now two consecutive Olympics, eight years basically of Patrick, like guy like Patrick Kane's career, yeah. where he has not been able to represent the United States in the Olympics. And I think that this year was going to be a really great opportunity for especially Team USA to really show some of the strides that they've made in terms of developing high-end players. We were going to get to see Austin Matthews on the team. We were going to get to see Seth Jones and Alex DeBrincat on this team. I mean, it was going to be a really strong United States squad full of really talented NHL players. And it's a huge bummer now that we're going to go eight years without seeing those guys at this high level of competition. And I know the players have kind of alluded to that as well in their remarks about the withdrawal. But at the end of the day, I suppose you just have to kind of look at it as both a very practical decision by the NHL while still acknowledging that it's a massive bummer. Yeah, I mean, that's it's sort of how everything it's a microcosm of society at the moment, right? Like it's all a bummer, but it's all the right thing to do. And it's a safe thing to do. And it's, you know, in the best interest of the players, especially they go over there, an outbreak happens, then they're stranded in Beijing, which is not ideal. You know, if it's Vancouver or it's somewhere, you know what I mean? It's just, it could not be a worse situation for an outbreak to happen. And you're right though, as a, as a hockey fan, it, it is just a massive bummer because I, I'll never forget those Vancouver Olympics, man. The, yeah. the the mania around that. And I think part of it was because the Hawks were so good at the time. So locally, the Taves and Crosby rivalry was like still a legitimate discussion at that time. <laughs> like, yeah, You could actually like sort of kind of make an argument for Taves in that era. And it was just, I don't know. It was just a great time to be a hockey fan. And uh, this is a massive bummer, but I have zero criticisms. It's the right move to make. You've got to protect your players. Uh, and and this is really the only decision to make. And hopefully next time around, uh, everybody will be good to go. But by then, Patrick Kane's career might be over. I was going to say, you're talking 2026. Patrick Kane's going to be 38 years old by then. Yeah, we'll only be halfway through Seth Jones's contract, though. <laughs> well, Seth Jones will only be, what, 30, I yeah, think? Yeah, 30. So yep. he'll, he'll certainly be eligible. Alex DeBrincat will certainly be you would imagine a player on that team as well. Now, whether or not he's a Blackhawk remains. Stop to be yourself. Seen. Stop it. That's, uh, just saying, man. How that's. Dare you. <laughs> are you are you thinking the Artemi Panarin uh, career arc for him? I think I think Alex DeBrincat is his contract ends at a very convenient time. Yes, exactly. It does. When and Taves I think and deliberately yes. <laughs> deliberately done that. Way, I think so. he is a Blackhawk for a long, long time. I hope so. Assuming he wants to be. Assuming he wants to be. Um, yeah, I, I think that that's, of course, the big story today is the fact that the NHL won't be participating in the Olympics. It's going to take a lot of the 
zip out of the tournament, and I'm sure we're going to be treated to a lot of think pieces about how this is going to be really bad for uh, the potential growth of the game in the Chinese market. I know the NBA has done a really effective job at marketing itself in China and has really established itself as a worldwide league because of that, Mm -hmm. and the NHL is potentially losing out on that opportunity. So while it's a really good uh, practical thing not to have the players go over there both for safety perspective and otherwise it, it does really suck to miss out on that opportunity to showcase those players on that stage in China in front of the Chinese audience and I think that it is kind of a bummer in that regard too well and that is you know we talked about this a little bit on the last episode or maybe two episodes ago the Pacific Rim is a place where the where the NHL is trying to expand and trying to grab attention and you're right, this would have been a great opportunity for it. But I'm glad that cooler heads are prevailing, the uh, the right decisions being made, not the financial decision, and that's how it should be. So um, bummer, but overall happy about it. By the way, the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Fry the Coop and frythecoop.com. Go get yourself some hot chicken while you're Christmas shopping. It'll help melt the congestion out of your head that you've got from being in cold and hot and cold and hot in the stores and outside. Oaklawn, Elmhurst, West Town, Prospect Heights, and Tinley Park. Come get your happiness at Fry the Coop and FryTheCoop.com. And make sure you tell our sponsors, by the way, when you visit them. You heard about them on the Madhouse podcast, and they might look at you like you're a dumbass, um, but just do it anyway. I mean, we look at you like dumbasses, I guess. You listen to our <laughs> stupid selves. You look at us like we're dumbasses. So we yeah, are dumbasses. Someone should return the favor. <laughs> um, and the other thing, and I know you mentioned it a little bit off the top, but... Um, the games starting today, Wednesday, December second, twenty second, are going to be postponed, along with the five games that were on a schedule for Thursday, the twenty third. NHL returns to action on Monday, December twenty seventh. So a little bit of an earlier pause than expected for the Christmas break, um, and I'm sure they'll work out all those reschedulings as things go on. But I, I don't know, man. I think we're getting to the point here, and I think we've heard a little bit of discussion with this with the NFL, where with COVID being a new reality in life, like this is something that's always going to be around. We're probably going to have to get an annual vaccine, like a flu shot for it. Yep. It's just something that's part of our lives. Now you wonder if they're going to start doing the asymptomatic players only sort of a thing, uh, you know, and, and, and sure if, seems if, like it, cause it's almost like there's so many guys who have it, who are managing it. Okay. And feel okay. I don't know that I think that's and it's not going to be this season, but I think before next season, there's going to be a major adjustment as to how they handle COVID when when infections do come. Well, and I think I think we alluded to this on the last podcast where we talked about the uh, advent of drugs that can potentially kind of stop COVID in its tracks, similar to the way Tamiflu uh, acts with the flu virus. I think that assuming that those drugs hit the market and they're effective, I think that you can very easily make an argument that uh, having players continue to play, even if they're uh, positive, as long as they're asymptomatic, could be potentially a good thing to do. I think the only danger I can see with that in the NHL is I think that there is still a culture in this league of toughing out injuries. I mean, you think back to Patrice Bergeron playing in the Stanley Cup final with a punctured lung and just stuff like that. Just this ungodly amount of pain these guys are willing to play through because it's just kind of what's expected of hockey players. I hope it doesn't come to that when it comes to COVID because this virus, even if you're 
you know, vaccinated, even if you're boosted, there is still so much we don't know about potential long-term impacts of this virus. I hope that guys aren't trying to play through serious symptoms because I think that that would obviously be bad for their long-term health. And I think that we don't know enough about that uh, portion of it. So I think that as these uh, drugs hit the market that are able to kind of stop COVID and to make it less serious when you do contract the virus, I think that that is ultimately the way that the NHL is going to go. I know Adam Silver talked about it in the NBA yesterday, said that we're just going to have to learn to live with the virus because it's always going to be kind of endemic. It's always going to be around, especially this time of year, I think that that is going to ultimately be our reality. There is really no eradicating this virus, it seems like. So I think that as long as you can guarantee the safety of players who do have the virus and you do have those treatments available, I think that the idea of having asymptomatic players be able to continue to play is something that the league is eventually going to end up doing. I just hope they don't rush into it for the sake of keeping their schedule online i want to make sure that these players are safe and healthy and the people around them are safe and healthy as well no doubt that is what's most important and speaking of healthy uh before we get to our interview with chris peters of the daily Faceoff and ho- the hockey sense Substack and the talking hockey sense podcast jujar Kara returned to practice the other day for the hawks so it looks like when they return to play on the 20 i don't know what the hawks have a game on the 27th the calendar's not in front of me but when they return from the holiday break it looks they like play Jujar Kara against the Blue Jackets. That's their next game. Good. Well, it looks like Kara might be uh, able to go then. Which, if you told me that a week ago, I would have highly doubted it. So, um, good news for him. Um, and we have not really discussed. We've not done a podcast since the Brett Connolly uh, Tanner Caro situation. Um, four game suspension for uh, Brett Connolly. I, you know, we talked about the Kara hit and I, I had trouble watching it because it was so violent and, and the impact was so bad. And Tanner Caro is a guy who I know a little bit, did a bunch of events with him, probably a dozen or so. Great guy. Awesome with the fans. So that was scary to see. But to me, that hit seemed less violent and less intentional than the one Truba put on Kara. I don't know. Maybe it was just the angle or whatever, but it seemed like more of a... um incidental kind of a collision than anything but i don't know i again i don't i hate to zapruder film those things because they make me feel gross i've seen too many people that are on teams with me suffer that way and it, it kind of is like triggering for me um so i try not to watch them too often but i was not immediately like oh that's a dirty hit i didn't think that right away when i saw it but the league is i think the issue the issue i had with it is that in the Kara instance the puck was definitely still in his vicinity and he was still trying to play the puck. And I know that's why the NHL opted not to suspend him. I, I am totally on board. If the NHL wants to make all checks to the head illegal, I think that that's a very logical thing to do. I, I think this whole idea of parsing it to see where exactly the contact was made, et cetera, is just silly. I think that the head should be the head no matter what, and it should just be illegal to hit up there. I think the issue that I had with the Connolly hit was that the puck wasn't really being contested at all by Tanner Caro. It was kind of going past back, him yeah. along the boards. I think that that ultimately is where I fell on that. I thought that four games might have been 
a little bit too much. I think that a game, a suspension of a couple of games I thought would have been warranted. And I know what Conley's trying to do. He's trying to throw a big hit. He's trying to stick at the NHL level with the Blackhawks. He does not want to go back to the AHL. Hard to blame him for right. that. Um, but I, I did think that that element of the hit I thought was suspension worthy. So I thought maybe four games was a little bit more than I would have gone, but I did think that the hit warranted a suspension. Yeah, I'm with you, especially on the hits to the head rule. Just make it universal, no room for interpretation. And if it happens accidentally, sorry, but it is what it is. All right, before we get to Chris Peters, I want to tell you about our buddy Kent Sinson. By the way, if you did not listen to our podcast with Kent Sinson, make sure you go back and do it. Really broke down the Kyle Beach situation very well. Uh, December 20th was the date where the negotiations with John Doe 2 were set to begin. No settlement as of now, but just something to keep an eye on. But after over a decade of prosecuting homicide cases as an assistant Cook County state's attorney, Kent opened his own firm over 20 years ago, and he specializes in all forms of personal injury cases. So if someone's negligence has you injured, get a hold of Kent Simpson. 312-332-2107. Visit SimpsonLawGroup.com. That's S I N. S-O-N, lawgroup.com. They charge no fees unless they win for you, and his firm's results speak for themselves with millions recovered for their clients. Don't go offside. Go top shelf. Call Kent Simpson now. When we return, we will talk all things World Junior Championships with Chris Peters of the Daily Faceoff and the Hockey Sense Substack. This is the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Joining us now on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is Chris Peters, NHL Draft and Prospects Analyst at Daily Faceoff and Hockey Sense. Check out his Substack and the Talking Hockey Sense podcast as well. A brand new episode dropped on Wednesday with Corey Pronman, where they break down the World Junior Championship. That's what we're about to do right now with a bit of a focus, obviously, on the Chicago Blackhawks. Chris, thanks so much for jumping on. Thanks for taking the time. Hey, it's my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's a little bit of an odd Odd World Juniors suddenly, but uh, once again, but we're we're going right along, and I'm I'm just glad the tournament's going to happen. So that's that's a that's the bonus at this point. Yeah, we're in an odd world, so the odd World Juniors makes sense. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so for those that uh, don't keep up year round with the World Junior Championships, they begin December 26 in Edmonton and in Red Deer. All games will be on NHL Network, which is great. Uh, and I let's turn our attention to Team USA because that's where our audience most like we'll be rooting for and they've got the most Blackhawks on the team. What's the outlook for team USA this year? You know, I think they have a really good chance to, to contend for gold. Once again, the U S has never repeated as the gold medalist. Um, so that is kind of the challenge at hand for them. They brought back the entire coaching staff from last year's team, uh, which is, which is great. Nate Lehman, who is the head coach at Providence college and certainly a guy that I think should be on NHL radars and will be on NHL radars for a long time until he finally signs with the team um, is, <laughs> is uh, uh, you know, he's got a really solid group and, and game plan. So I think the U S has the best decor in the entire tournament. And that includes Wyatt Kaiser, who we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, you know, I, I think Jake Sanderson is the team captain. He's an Ottawa senators draft pick. They've got two top five picks in Sanderson and Sanderson and Luke Hughes and Brock Faber is a returning player. Tyler Clevin's a returning player. So they have experience. Um, you know, a lot of it's going to be on the shoulders of Drew Camesso, another Blackhawks prospect in net, likely to be the number one goalie. 
And then up front, it's just a matter of, can they find the scoring? Can they find enough guys? Like last year, they had Trevor Zegers, who they just threw over the boards and points fell out of him, essentially. <laughs> um, and, and so you don't have a player like that this year, but you do have Matty Beneers. You do have Brett Burrard. Um, you do have a returning player like Landon Slagger, who's going to wear a letter and, 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 you know, be an important guy in the depth of the lineup. So, you know, they, they have good depth. They have good, good players. It's just a matter of they don't necessarily have that one guy that you say, go get us a goal. Um, and, and that could really matter in a tournament like this. And it did matter last year when they had guys like that. I think from the Blackhawks fan perspective, uh, you mentioned Slagger, you mentioned Kaiser, but Drew Camesso is going to have a lot of eyes on him because the Hawks future and goal is very unclear. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury is here now. We don't know if he's going to finish the season as a Hawk safe to assume they probably won't resign in Chicago, uh, if he decides to keep playing after this season. So Camesso might be closer to the NHL than than most people be comfortable with where is he in his NHL progression? And is he solidly the number one goalie for team USA? Yeah. I mean, I think he, they, they haven't come right out and said that he's solidly number one, but I mean, based on what I know about the other goalies on, on the team, I mean, there's really no choice. Um, and, and I, and there shouldn't be anyway. I mean, Drew Camesso would have been on this team last year. He was caught in COVID protocol at Boston university and, you know, his numbers can be a little bit deceiving this year. Um, Boston University has been terrible, um, just objectively terrible this season. And when you don't have a good enough team in front of you, your numbers are going to suffer. And, and certainly that's been the case this year for Drew Camesso. But if you look back last year when he was healthy and able to play, he was outstanding. And I think he was a really good goaltender at the under-18 level. And we missed out on his under-18 worlds because of the, the first round of COVID. Um, and, and that really would have been a showcase event for him. But, he, you know, I think that he he warranted that high pick. He was one of the top goaltenders in, in his class um, and certainly one of the top goalies in the age group. The, the fact is this year, there are three other goalies in the tournament that are first round draft picks. So, you know, you get overshadowed a little bit, but essentially, you know, if, if Drew Camesso is not, he doesn't have his best game, the U S is not going to medal, you know, or, or get a gold medal, you know, like if they, they need him that much and he's going to have a really good decor in front of him. He's going to have a, a team that plays solidly defensively and wants to play an attacking style and keep the puck at the other end of the ice, but he's going to have to come up with some big saves against those tough teams like Russia and Sweden uh, in the preliminary round. And if he does that and builds confidence over the course of the tournament, the U S has a real opportunity and they're going to feel a lot better about themselves you know, they, they've had, they had Spencer Knight for the last two years. And, and that's a guy that I think everybody uh, is very familiar with. And, and, you know, is now a member of the Florida Panthers and, and has already played NHL games. Um, I think as far as NHL progression is concerned, you know, Drew Camesso is, is no, I, I don't think he's any closer uh, to the NHL than, than most goalies his age would be. Um, you know, I think that he's mostly, you, you know, probably another year of college, and then maybe moving on to the to the AHL, I think a lot of guys stay for three years, especially when they're goaltenders, and I think that's a safe thing to do. Um, but he's a guy that that certainly has the technical skill, he has the confidence, um, and he has you know the the intangibles, I think as well. And I know the Blackhawks are very fond of him. I think they have they have a lot of belief in him, and, and they should because he he does have the good technical skills. Yeah, and I mean, when you have guys in your system like Kevin Lankin and Colin Delia, I'm sure they're keeping their fingers crossed that Camesto <laughs> is going to end up becoming a guy because that's not exactly the uh, thing that fills you with a lot of hope. Uh, you you had mentioned uh, the team defense in front of them being a really key kind of component to the success of this United States roster, and I did want to zero in on the other another Blackhawks prospect on that blue line in Wyatt Kaiser. He's not a guy that I have seen 
play too terribly much. I'm a lot more familiar with Camesso and with Landon Slaggart. So I'm kind of curious for your take on Wyatt Kaiser. What uh, If Blackhawks fans are getting their first kind of glimpse of him playing, what should they expect from him? And what are you kind of anticipating that he's going to kind of put out there on the world stage? Yeah, well, I've, I've had the, the opportunity to see him live, you know, this season and also have seen him live in previous seasons. Um, and, and certainly, you know, he's a guy that's been on a real upward trajectory over the last couple of years. He was a bit of an under the radar prospect playing in Minnesota high school hockey. And I watched him throughout that Minnesota high school tournament and, and watch how much he played. And, and he was playing for Andover, which, which isn't a traditional power. Um, and he, he basically played half the game for every, you know, every time he was in there. And then he goes to Minnesota Duluth and I'm like, he's making this transition to college hockey. This is going to be tough straight from high school. Didn't play much at the, uh, at the USHL level this, you know, this is going to be really difficult for him. They played, they started the NCHC season in a pod last year. And by the second game, he was their best defenseman. It was unbelievable to see though. So the transition there at the end of the season last year, Minnesota Duluth won a five overtime game against North Dakota and Jake Sanderson was on the other side. Jake Sanderson played about, you know, 50, 50 plus minutes of that game. Wyatt Kaiser played over an hour of that game wow. in five overtimes. Wow. And he looked no different from the, from the, from the beginning to the end. It, and so what you're going to see is he's not very flashy. Like there is not a ton of high end skill in, in, in his game. He's a really good skater. He's a really good defenseman. Um, he, he defends extremely well. He does move the puck. Well, I think that there will be more offense for him in the coming years as he gets more comfortable, you know, pushing the pace and being a guy that rushes pucks up the ice. He has that in his, in his skill set. I think the strengths are the skating and the hockey sense. He's so high end there. Um, I, I believe he'll be a, a top four defenseman for team USA. I think he's going to play a lot. Could probably, I think he'll probably end up playing. Um, he may end up playing on his offhand side. We're going to see. He's, you know, he's a left shot, but he, he has an, He may play on that on the right side. Could play with Jake Sanderson. Could play with Brock Faber. Those are Team USA's de facto top two defensemen. I would say that Kaiser's probably four behind Luke Hughes. So you know, so it's kind of where in in terms of ice time, he's not going to play as much as some of those other guys, but he's going to be a key guy for the U.S. and you know, just watching him develop from his draft season to now and seeing where he's at. I mean, he's way ahead of where I thought he would be at this point. Well, that's always good to hear. I mean, I always like to hear <laughs> yeah. the guys are on an upward trajectory <laughs> after the uh, Blackhawks draft them. So I love when Chris comes on and gives us the warm, fuzzy feelings about a player. <laughs> that's, that's great. Um, I'm going to give you another opportunity to do that here. I want to mention Landon Slaggard as well. You said that he's going to be wearing the alternate captain a for this team. He's having a really solid season so far for the uh, fighting Irish at Notre Dame. And I was just curious what you've kind of made of his development at the collegiate level. And also where do you kind of foresee him potentially fitting in if he does end up making that next step to the NHL level? I know a lot of people have kind of kept their eyes on him to kind of see what portions of his game are developing and, uh, I was seeing if there was any trends that are kind of emerging as to what kind of an NHL player you think he would be. You know, I think Landon, the Blackhawks have a habit of picking guys that I'm pretty high on. Um, I, and you know, and if you know me and you guys know I'm from Chicago, you know, I grew up a Blackhawks fan and I try to, you know, not be like somebody that is, is overly effusively praising, um, you know, the, the, the Blackhawks because of those perceived outside biases right <laughs> <Yep>. so 
but Landon Slaggard has been one of my favorite players um, over the last couple of years for a couple of reasons. And the, the main one being that he is such an exceptional, just has just plays so hard. He plays the game physical. He plays fast. He is unrelenting. He is a bear to play against on the boards. He has good uh, two-way capabilities. And now, as we've seen over the last year, he's adding more and more offensive elements to his game. He's much more skilled than I thought he would be by this point. Like it's not to the point where he's going to be a top six scorer. Like that's just not going to happen. Um, you know, in terms of, of the, him being an, at the NHL level, he's probably going to be a third, fourth line guy that gives a lot of energy, but I think his game is trending towards the NHL much more favorably over the last year. And you look this year, you know, last season, 22 points at Notre Dame, pretty solid 10 points this year. Didn't have any points at the world juniors last year, but he played in a depth role and guys like him, and he's going to wear a letter. He's going to be an alternate captain for this team. Guys like him kind of allow the rest of the team to, to, you know, fill those holes. He's probably going to play a depth role once again for the U S and it's not because he didn't progress. It's just because he's so good at it. And, and you want a guy that can fill that role for your team. Um, so he's kind of that heart and soul player. And, you know, I, I went to Notre Dame hockey camp as a kid um, and, and, and Landon's dad, Andy was, has been an assistant coach at Notre Dame for like, you know, since then, you know, and he's, he's not, he's not an old guy, but he's been there for so long because he started his coaching career so young. And so he's had that, he's, he's grown up around hockey. He is, it has been his entire life. And so he, he, he lives and breathes Notre Dame hockey. And certainly with the proximity to Chicago, he played for the Chicago mission and everything else. Like he's just a guy that I think you need to win and, and, and you want guys like him. So he's not going to excite you point wise. He's not going to be a guy that's going to be a, a 20 goal scorer, but he is going to be the kind of guy that finds a way to play for your team and makes an impact in some way in the game. And I think that's what he's going to do for USA as well. Yeah. It's funny. You know, as you're talking, I'm hearing Brandon Hagel, <laughs> but very, very much. So yeah, yeah, very much. So I think, you know, Hagel might have a little bit more offensive pop at this point. Um, but yeah, but I think that that's, that's the kind of role that you could foresee him playing kind of in that, you know, somewhere that Andrew Shaw kind of, you know, really thorn in the side of, of, of a, of a, of, a, of a, the opposition, um, and I mean, uh, Landon also hits to hurt, you know, like not, not like, I mean, he's not head hunting, right. he's not going up, but he, he is going to hit you solidly. Um, and, and I think that, you know, we, we saw some massive hits at the, at the summer camp last year. Uh, you gotta be a little careful of that in international hockey, but, um, it will be important, uh, for him to, to increase that physical element for team USA. Cause that's how they want him to play. Well, before we get to team Canada, uh, which we will hear in a minute, it's so funny, you know, as we have the, we all have the Chicago connection. I think we're also ingrained into thinking about Hawks prospects from the Stan Bowman development program, where guys are, <laughs> as soon as they show any sniff of being potentially NHL ready, they find themselves at the NHL level. It seems like, and look, who knows who the next GM is going to be, but Kyle Davidson seems a lot more patient. The fact that, that Lucas Reichel isn't in Chicago yet. And the fact that even Alex Nylander is playing in Rockford uh, despite a pretty solid start to the season, he's letting these kids develop. And, and I, I sort of like that as impatient as it can be to, you know, or, or as you can get as a fan waiting for those prospects to arrive. I think the right thing to do is develop. And, and it seems like just looking at team USA's roster, like, look, I know the holidays are busy Hawks fans, but if you just watch all the USA's games, you're going to get a really good report 
on the next generation of Hawks players beyond Debrinket and Doc and so on and so on. So I'm just really interested to see uh, how those guys look and how quickly they arrive at the NHL level. All right, on to Team Canada, who I imagine has to be the favorite with 11 first-round picks on the roster, if I counted correctly, uh, between the 2020 and 2021 drafts. Um, th- this is a team that is stacked every year, of course, uh, who are they? Are they for you, Chris? The the undeniable favorite here. They are every year. I think if you yeah. said otherwise, you just you know you wouldn't be honest. And and really, it it just depends on paper. I think last year the U.S. team was very much in that same caliber. Like they were one A, one B. Probably they ended up in the gold medal game against each other. This year, I think there's a much more firm delineation between Canada and the rest of the team. So I think that the, you know, basically for, for, for Canada, what they have, it is very, very rare that the player that was picked first overall the year before is on your roster. Um, It happened, I think in the lockout season when Ryan Nugent Hopkins ended up playing for Canada, that's the last time I can remember where that, you know, often the guy that's going to go first will play in the tournament, but not the guy that already did. And so you've got Owen Power leading that blue line. Also, Caden Gooley, who's a guy who's going to play a ton of minutes for Canada, very strong, slick skating defenseman. Then up front, you've got Cole Perfetti, who was on the team last year, has already played some NHL games. Mason McTavish, Jake Neighbors also have played NHL games this year. Um, you know, so they have a lot of talent there. They even cut Hendricks LaPierre who had NHL games this season. So, you know, that's that's the kind of depth that we're talking about with Team Canada. And then on top of that, you have Shane Wright, who's the projected number one for this year's draft, and Connor Bedard, who very well could be the number one pick in the 2023 draft, and they might be the most skilled players on your team. So, you know, that's, that's kind of where we're at right now. Canada is loaded. The other thing that is a huge benefit to them that is different than, than years past is that Sebastian Kosa is and Dylan Garan, both of their goaltenders, very capable. They're playing outstanding hockey in the WHL. They've got a first round. Uh, Kosa was a first round draft pick of the Red Wings. And so they actually have the goaltending to go along with the rest of the roster, which is often not the case for Canada. Um, and, and when they have the goaltending, they become so much more difficult to beat. So I'll tell you that there is going to be a lot of very, very uh, interesting hockey played and Canada is going to be incredibly fun to watch. And also they're in the, the weaker of the two preliminary round brackets. So I'm expecting some very lopsided score lines and, and high point totals for their team. And then it's just going to be like, can they deal with the adversity uh, uh, if when it comes, when they have to play a Russia or the United States that they wouldn't have faced previously in the tournament. So that's the real task for Canada is if the preliminary round is too easy, you better be ready to be punched in the mouth by one of the other teams from the other side. Yeah, I just you look up and down the Canadian roster and you just see round one, round one, round one. And it is frankly staggering to see the depth of talent that they have. And I'm I'm genuinely curious, Chris, is there a weak point on that team? Like you alluded to a lot of strengths. Is there any weakness at all that American fans or Russian fans can kind of point to and go, maybe they can exploit that? Just maybe. Um, geez, not really. I mean, they're overconfident. Yeah, I got, I guess so. Like, I mean, I think I do think going back to what I just, just said too, which I think is a thing because it showed up at the gold medal game last year, Canada had a, a, a walk to the gold medal game. And then USA came out, they forechecked the hell out of them. They absolutely buried their defensemen. 
um, and force them, you know, I love the lines that we, we were learning about kind of the game plan after it all came out. One of the things that, that Nate Lehman said that stuck with me was we wanted their defensemen to play the entire game facing the glass. Basically we wanted to get the puck in and we wanted to be on them so fast that they didn't even have a chance to turn around and move it up the ice which they did successfully. They shut out Canada in that game, 2-0. And even the Canadian players were like, we weren't prepared for that. And so I think they'll be more prepared for it now, No, having gone through that. They only have three returning players, and they don't have the same coaching staff, but that doesn't really matter because the experience of last year's team will definitely help this year's team. But you have to, you know, you manage the ebbs and flows of a, of a short tournament, and if you don't make that adjustment quickly enough, you're done. And, and in a single elimination game, that's that's really the weakness is there's no margin for error when it's single elimination. Once you get beyond the preliminary round, the tournament really begins. Um, so so that's kind of where it's at. But I mean, I do feel that any team can win this tournament. Um, I think there are probably five teams that could that have a have a an honest to goodness chance. Three, if we're being honest, but like, you know, I think there's like five teams that that have enough talent in the group or, or maybe one or two players that can make the difference to get them over. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that really it's going to be a, it's going to be a fascinating finish as we get into the uh, medal round, because USA is in the same bracket as Russia and Sweden and Slovakia, which will be much better than it's ever been or that it's been in a long time in this tournament. So that's a much tougher group. So then you've got all those teams heading into crossovers against whoever the top four teams are on the other side. That's bad news for the other side. Yeah, that sounds like a really uh, rough road to hoe in the U.S. group. That is not going to be fun trying to get through all of that. I did want to bring up before Jay kind of he's itching to get to some players Mm -hmm. that are going to be in the tournament and wants to get your take on. But there is one kind of elephant in the room we have to discuss in terms of the Blackhawks. And that's the fact that Lucas Reichel is not going to be playing in the tournament. We all saw what happened last year with Kirby Doc getting injured and, you know, being put up for that team. And then the whole criticism that surrounded the Blackhawks decision to do that. What did you make of the decision not to have Lucas Reichel play this year? And are you surprised that he's not going to be suiting up for team Germany? I'm not, I'm not at all surprised. Certainly as somebody that, you know, loves this tournament, I want to see all the best players there. I wish that they would all go. Um, but I also understand particularly from the Blackhawks standpoint and the Red Wings made a very similar call last year with Moritz Sider and look how he's doing right now. Um, you know, that it's not just about the injury concerns. I think right now you've gotten Lucas Reichel into your system. You've gotten him playing in the AHL. You're, you, you have started down a road of preparing him to play for the Blackhawks, right? So you've gotten him to a certain point. Obviously he had the injury this year that that kind of derailed things a little bit. So now you've just gotten him back on track. Why send him away to go play for a German team that will also not have Tim Stutzla, who's age eligible, but is in the NHL and JJ Paterka, who's playing in the AHL right now and having a very strong season. The Buffalo Sabres made the same choice with him. So now all of a sudden you're asking Lucas Reichel to go in there and be the only guy, uh, you know, the only draft, you know, they, they don't have many drafted players. They have two on their current roster. Um, and so it's good experience for him to be the man for a team for sure. 
but not in a situation where there's really low a low likelihood for success when you've already gotten them to a point here. So I think that teams like and other teams are doing this too. Quinton Byfield just came back from an injury. The Kings did not release him to to go to to Canada. Um, you know, there are obviously guys that are playing in the NHL right now, and 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 you're not surprised by that when they're not there. But I think there was really no question to me that. Um, that this was the right call because Germany is they, they are playing in the uh, the the easier bracket so they ha- they really only have to beat Austria to get into the medal round um into the playoff round and then likely get absolutely stomped in the in the quarterfinal just because they don't have the depth but that was a team that really turned a lot of heads last year because of Lucas Reichel and or actually Reichel didn't end up making it because of COVID but Paterka and Stutzla kind of took over and they showed what that team can do they didn't have Sider or Reichel which really you know, I think with those two guys, they might have actually had a chance to make it to the semifinals. So um, because they don't have those guys, I, I, I just I think the, the risk outweighs the reward. And you've already gone down the path in development with Lucas Reichel, where you're getting him to a place where he's comfortable. Just don't mess with that right now. I think just take the patient approach. The one other Blackhawk in the tournament, Michael Krutil, uh Played a little bit for Rockford this year, uh, 21 games last year, just three assists, uh, right-handed defenseman. Um, what are we looking for from him? It seems like more of a long shot NHL prospect. Do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, you know, I think he's he's certainly kind of a tweener. You, you certainly love the size profile, the fact that he's a right shot defenseman, um, you know, the fact that he's had success uh, playing or he's played professionally, I should say. For, for multiple years as a young guy, it's it's really difficult to do. But, you know, you're not looking at a lot of offense. You're not looking at a guy that's going to produce a lot of points for you. And and so if he's not doing that, what exactly does he do for you? It's, it's um, you know, does he defend well enough? I think in this particular tournament, you're going to get a good sample of what he's really capable of versus what you've seen in the, in the AHL. Uh, the Czechs actually have a really interesting decor. They're a big team. They have a lot of size on that on that team, and um, their their blue line in particular is really intriguing. They've got Stanislav Svozil, who was drafted last year. David Juracek is going to be a top ten pick this year, in my mind. Um, is he's a, he's another six foot three right shot defenseman who's playing professionally in the Czech Republic, and, and he's probably going to be the minutes leader for this team. So. You've got a team that's that's capable of putting a scare into some of the their opponents. It's not certainly not a a, a a metal. I don't view them as a metal threat, but they, you know, you might get them sneaking up on somebody in the preliminary round. Um, but yeah, so I think for Krutil, this is a great opportunity for him to play within his own age group. Um, a lot of times you'll see guys that have played in the AHL or played professionally where things open up for them in a tournament like this. It may not. Um, you never know it's, it's, but the pace is so close to the NHL. It's a really good sample of, can this guy handle it? Is he going to make that next step? And it's kind of more of a measuring stick for him than anything else. But I agree with you. I think he's kind of a tweener prospect, not a sure shot to get into the NHL. We, we often talk about all these guys that, you know, once they make it to the AHL or anything, it's like, it's the natural progression is to the NHL. It's not always the case. So, you know, I, I think he is one of those guys where you exercise a little bit of, you know, cautious optimism for, uh, but not much beyond that. All right. We got to all the Blackhawks tournament starts on the 26th of December. Who are some of the names not related to the Blackhawks? We should be keeping an eye on who are the people we're going to see chosen at the 2022 draft that are going to become household names in short order. Yeah. I mean, I, I think if you are a team that is, you know, in a lottery and in the lottery and has your lottery pick, um, there's going to be a lot to watch in this, uh, in this whole thing. Um, because you've got 
basically, I mean, mm. there are a number of top 10 potential prospects here. Let me get my um, notebook out. Yeah. Yeah. So, hey, so hey, top two guys, it's top two protected. Don't forget. <laughs> yeah. Right. So if it is top two protected, I mean, you're obviously thinking you want to look at Shane, Wright. Shane Wright's the projected number one guy for this year. He's playing for Canada. He's very likely going to be their number one center as an underager, which is very, very rare. If he handles that role well, I think that he'll, you know, just coast into the number one. I, I, I don't think there's really anybody close right now. The race for number two, however, is wide open. And there are multiple candidates for that in this tournament, including Joachim Kamel and Brad Lambert, who play for Finland. Lambert's had a really down year. Um, he came into this, we, we were thinking he could be a potential number one guy a couple of years ago, but he's really, his, his offense has fallen off and there are definitely concerns about his game, but this is an opportunity for him to make a statement. But Joachim Kamel, who's also on Finland is one of the top scorers in Liga this year, not just for his age, but for the league. And he was been injured for a few weeks. So um, he's, he's having a truly remarkable season. You know, how much do we read into that versus what he can do at a tournament like this? It'll be really interesting to see. Uh, Russia has a guy by the name of Danila Yurov, who's like kind of like a, a hybrid power forward. Doesn't have amazing size, but he's got great strength. He drives the net hard. He's got a good shot. Um, you know, very likely to play a significant role for the team. Logan Cooley for the U.S. He's probably going to be their number two center because Thomas Bortolo uh, tested positive for COVID. He would have been the number two center behind Matty Beniers. Uh, but now they need Logan Cooley to kind of step into that role. He is electric speed. Um, he's committed to Notre Dame uh, for now. Um, so uh, we'll see, we'll see what happens, uh, there. Uh, but he's, he's one of the elite prospects, um, you know, for team USA and in this tournament, uh, also Slovakia has a host of guys, Uri Slavkovsky, Simon, uh, Simone Nemetz, uh, Philip Mayshar, all guys that could go in the first round. Even Austria has a potential first round pick in Marco Casper, who's playing in Sweden right now. So a lot of skill there. Is, so, and I, and I mentioned Juracek as well for the Czech Republic, who I think is maybe the best defenseman available for this draft. It's between him and Nemetz right now um, for being, and, and there's a couple guys on the, on the U S under 18 team that won't be in this tournament that are also uh, there. So I'm just rattling names off. I mean, you know, it just, there are so many draft eligible players. And then I didn't even mention that we've got the two best guys for 2023 in Connor Bedard for Canada and Matt Mitchkov for Russia. Cannot miss watching those guys play. Honestly, it's nuts. Matt Mitchkov just decides to score. He just like, yep, I will now <laughs> score. And he does. It's, it's, it's crazy to see. Um, I expect both of them to play, to work their way into substantial roles for their respective teams. Uh, but man, I mean, the future of the game is so bright right now. And this world junior championship is like a terrific appetizer for both this draft, the next draft, and certainly for all those teams that have already drafted these guys that are looking forward to it. Cause it's, it's a, it's as close to NHL hockey as you can get without being in the NHL. Love to hear that. Definitely looking forward to the tournament. Chris, you had mentioned that there were kind of three teams that you were looking at as the most likely favorites to take home the gold. I just was curious. I'm assuming two of them are the U.S. and Canada. Who is that third team? And then is there any other country that you could potentially see making a run in this tournament and maybe uh, making a run at the medal stand? Yeah, I, I think for me, the, the the number three team in this tournament is is Russia. And I, I think that they have, be, because of guys like Mitchkov, I think Mitchkov really can be that big of a difference maker that he can be the difference between a gold medal and and not meddling. You know, I mean, if he if he's on his game, there's high potential for him. But they also have Yaroslav Askarov as the goaltender, first round draft pick of, of Nashville in the 2020 draft. 
has had a couple of down seasons, uh, but internationally, if you look at his full body of work, he's done very well. He's, he's given his team, you know, he won the Holinka Gretzky cup, got his team to a silver medal at the under 18 world championship. Um, they won the Carhala cup a couple of years ago. They took a U 20 team and beat a bunch of pros. Um, you know, so like they, he, he's, he's a ridiculous talent. And he, if he's on his game, huge difference maker for them. Uh, but then they also have other guys, Murat, who's Nutanov, who is a, a Minnesota wild draft pick, super, spe- super fast. I, I mean, they have, they have depth, they have size, they play the game physically, they play smart. Sergey Zubov is their head coach. Um, so that I'm really excited to see what he does with this team after Igor Larianov kind of changed the identity of how they play. They wanted more skill. They wanted more pace. They wanted things like that, as opposed to being, very defensively sound, you know, and that you don't think about Russian teams as great defensive teams, right? At the world junior level, they have been, they've been really good and they've been really tough to play against. And so if they're physical, they're fast and they still have the skill to counterattack, that's very dangerous. And then they need the goaltending. So that's the team I'd watch for. And in terms of surprise teams, like I don't think Sweden has the depth this year. I feel the same way about Finland. One team that could sneak up on people is Slovakia. They've had a lot of skill, they have a lot of draft eligible players. They have uh, also uh, Martin Kromiak, who's a Kings prospect, who I think will be an offensive leader for them. They have a decent decor. Simon, uh, the, the draft eligible Nemitz, he is ac- absolutely one of the best defensemen in this tournament. Um, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing him play. But yeah, I mean, do I, I don't think they're going to win gold, but I think they could they could sneak up on the team, maybe maybe create an upset in the in the quarterfinals and then play for a medal by reaching the semifinals, but probably bronze, but still. You know, if they if they get bronze, I think that'd be a huge victory for a program that has really not had a lot to celebrate since, you know, Mary Ho- Marion Hosa was kind of at that age. <laughs> so, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. So, I mean, that's basically where we're at with with that club. So, um, but yeah, I think th- I think that we'll see uh, we'll see a great tournament no matter what. I, I think, you know, the Canadian and U.S. teams are so good. Russia, Sweden, Finland always are, are competitive. And then you throw in the Czechs and the Slovaks now. I mean, you really do have eight teams that that should play competitive hockey throughout, which we don't always get in this tournament. Chris, this has been awesome, man. Thank you so much for your time. Hockey fans, if you've not watched the World Junior Championships before, you have to. It's awesome. It's high end. Like Chris said, it's the closest thing you'll get to the NHL that's not the NHL. That's Chris Peters. Follow him on Twitter at Chris M. Peters. Read him on the Daily Faceoff. Subscribe to his Substack. That's easy to say. Hockeysense.substack.com. <laughs> Uh, support his work. He is the best prospects analyst out there. So Chris, I know it's your busy time of year and we appreciate you taking some time for the Madhouse podcast. Thanks, man. Hey, my pleasure guys. Merry Christmas. We'll see you soon. You too. Take care. That's going to do it for this episode of the Madhouse Chicago hockey podcast. This is going to be the last one we do James before the, before the uh, Christmas holidays. So I want to take a minute to thank our listeners for a huge year. Uh, probably the best year we've had as a podcast uh, in the history of our podcast. I know there's been a lot of drama on and off the ice. Thank you for sticking with us. Thanks for being there with us when those horrible things were happening, when you very well could have opted to say, screw this, I don't want to hear it. Uh, Thanks for trusting us with that coverage. Uh, We greatly appreciate it, and thanks for making 2021 our best year yet. Yeah, echo all those sentiments. I hope you guys all have. Uh, for those of you who celebrate Christmas, a uh, healthy and happy holiday. Hope you enjoy your uh, your time, whether it's with family or whether it's uh, sitting on your couch and watching basketball, which I know I'm going to be doing. 
on Christmas Day. Just uh, stay safe out there, everybody. And once again, I'll echo Jay's sentiments and say thank you for supporting the podcast and for uh, being buddies with us. We appreciate it. Yeah. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. All those great things. We'll talk to you soon on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast was brought to you by Fry the Coop, Triple Threat Sports, and by the Sins In Law Group.